Welcome to the Philia Podcasts. We are the daughters of those women who came before us. It is our absolute honour to have met so many incredible women fighting for the liberation of us all. Our role at Philia is to amplify the voices of those women via the Philia Conference and these podcasts. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Um, this is Heather Runskell Evans talking to uh, Megan Murphy. I'm very honoured and privileged to be talking to you, Megan. I'm talking to you as the spokeswoman for Philia, which is a charity that you know about. And uh, there are three aims of Philia. I'm just going to tell you this because I think you fit into this very nicely. The three aims of Philia are for building sisterhood and solidarity. And I think you've done that hugely and we're all very grateful for you to have done that. The second is amplifying the voices of women, particularly those less often heard or purposefully silenced. Now I think in terms of your own work you have been heard a lot and you've made yourself uh, and amplified the voices of many many women which has been fantastic but interestingly and bizarrely you are one of the purposefully silenced at the moment, so I'd like to come back and talk to you about that. And also mm, the third yeah. aim of failure is defending women's human rights, which you have an honourable history um, at doing. So if we could just come back to the second point, which is the purposefully silenced, I wonder whether you could let us all know um, how you've been purposefully silenced and what it's actually, what the impact on you has been. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it is odd because it's not as though my voice isn't being heard. And I've obviously, I've published work in lots of publications all around the world. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I'm one of the people who, you know, is is censored and and silenced and no platformed a lot or they attempt to in any case um i mean here in canada the media has you know it, it's been really difficult for me to get my voice out there in the canadian media um especially since i've started talking and writing about this gender identity issue because the canadian media won't even address or acknowledge the fact that there is a feminist analysis or feminist critique of the gender identity issue. They sort of pretend as though there's two sides to the story. So there's, you know, right-wingers and the progressive position and, and everyone else's concerns are left out. Um, but, I mean, at, at the same time, because I, I started Feminist Current back in 2012, it's been impossible for them to really silence me and, and to silence the voices of all the other women. I mean, there's so many women that have published work at Feminist Current, again, from around the world, you know, from the, the US, from Canada, from the UK, from Australia, from Sweden. Um, and that's one thing that the media can't control and all the bullies and the, the would-be censors can't control. So I feel really grateful to to have that outlet and to have so much support from from women for that outlet also I mean we we survive solely on donations so the only reason we exist is because we have support from from people all around the world mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so 
have you felt the lack of your voice on firstly on Twitter and secondly I think you had a a book which uh, proposal which was withdrawn yeah well it actually yeah so the the Twitter thing I mean yeah that's had a huge impact um because I'm an independent writer and a journalist I mean Twitter is a, a way that I get work you know that's you know I've been I've been yeah. asked to I've been commissioned to write articles based on you know discussions that I've been having on Twitter and from having a profile there um I've been quoted in the media you know in the New York Times and stuff like that via Twitter um and you know it's so it's not just an attempt to censor me and to silence my voice but it's attempt to you know uh, enforce you know to not allow me to work and to make a living um and you know it has an impact on my ability to you know promote my work and to promote the work of other women um to defend other women to defend myself um the amount of libel that I see about me on Twitter is insane. I see people saying the craziest things about me um, that aren't true at all and and I have no means to defend myself. Um, I've not been able to promote our events on Twitter. We've been holding some events here in Vancouver specifically about the gender identity issue and it's really difficult to promote those events and sell tickets for those events without access to Twitter. And then, yeah, I, I mean, it's just totally... And beyond that, I mean, it's just, it's insane. It's insane that this multi-billion dollar corporation is being allowed to dictate women's speech. I mean, I find it really scary beyond the, the impacts to my to my work and my career. I think it's quite terrifying that we've given all this power over to these social media companies to control politics and political discussion and, and debate and you know, who's allowed to say what and in what way and what kinds of analysis we're allowed to have. And the book, yeah, so I was working with a local publisher here in Vancouver for, you know, two and a half years on a book and my manuscript was all but done. We'd gone through the last round of edits. So nothing that was, nothing in the book was a surprise to my publisher. We'd we'd been working on it for quite some time. Um, And you know, the book is a, a critique of third wave feminism and sort of uh, a call to return to a more radical version of feminism that began during the second wave and, and really much, much before the second wave. But, um, you know, that's sort of a, a continuation of, of a movement that's been going on for, for over a century, for sure. Um, but there were a couple chapters about the issue of gender identity, which were not, you know, they weren't there's nothing offensive or rude in those chapters. They were quite polite as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, uh, you know, it's possible to be much ruder about these things when we're angry, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, uh, I just got an email one day from my publisher. So the owner of the company saying that, I guess, you know, he was worried about what other people would think. He was worried about offending people. He specifically said he was worried about hurting people's feelings. So they were dropping my book and he'd fought with my editor and and some other women at the, at the publisher too about this. And he'd sort of just made, made a decision based on his own fears of, you know, 
people not liking him or people being angry at him for publishing the book. So, you know, I have an essentially completed manuscript and I just need to find a new a new publisher, but I, which actually shouldn't be that hard, but I just have had no time at all to do that. And, you know, it's yeah. it's a lot of work to, to try to do that also. And so, I mean, it's frustrating on principle and it's frustrating to have been working with this, this you know, business for however long just for them to drop it and then for me to have to kind of go back to the drawing board but it is also significant in terms of in terms of how women are being silenced on this you know like we can't we can't even talk about it you know it's not there's no hate speech right there's nothing hateful or bigoted that I'm ever seeing um and nonetheless it's like yeah, it's just an unwillingness to even acknowledge that there's a debate, that there's questions that need to be answered, that there's concerns that women have in particular, but also more broadly, there's concerns that the general public has that are, are not being discussed and that people are scared to discuss. I suppose what is so shocking is it's now got to the point at which even possibly critiquing the concept of gender identity is interpreted as hate speech and exclusionary and hurtful to people and so on so speech is being shut down and thought uh, free thought is being shut down at every possible turn so what I imagine is apart from the impact on you personally what it's led you to understand or maybe I'm talking about myself here what it's led me to understand is that where I was researching something that felt very important the importance of it just becomes more and more magnified the more silenced the attempt to to stop our voices makes one realize what a serious issue this is I wondered whether you had some of the same sort of feelings as me around that the more you research it, the more you understand that yeah. there's such a, a force to prevent, such a strong force to prevent women from speaking about it. It beggars belief almost. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, it would be, it would seem less urgent and less of like a massive deal to be having these conversations and to be holding these events and these meetings and to be trying to publish work about this issue, this gender identity issue, if not for the silencing and for the massive, like, harassment. I mean, the amount of threats and harassment and bullying that happens to people who try to speak out about this is insane. And it's completely ironic because, you know, we're being accused of being hateful and of, we're not saying anything hateful. And meanwhile, we're being subjected to all these horrible, like, frightening, violent threats all the time. I mean, we we held an event last week on Thursday in Vancouver, um, specifically about the issue of gender identity and kids. Um, and we had Dagny, who's a young detransitioned woman who's involved with the Peak Resilience Project, and she's great. She's super articulate, and it's and we're really grateful that she's talking about her experience as a young woman who transitioned and then detransitioned and and realized that you know, transitioning has a lot to do with, you know, social pressure and stuff that's going on in social media and stuff like that. Um, and we had Ken Zucker, who ran the gender identity clinic in Toronto for, I think, over two decades and was was fired after some trans activists started a smear campaign against him. And only because, you know, he's not even necessarily opposed to, to transition. 
he would just take a more wait and see approach with kids. You know, he didn't want to immediately put them on the path to transition because he knew that, you know, kids might say they're trans or might say they want to be the opposite sex and then change their mind down the road. Um, so he wanted to, you know, wait and see if it stuck essentially before, you know, putting them on that path. And the, the venue got so many threats. It was shocking. Um, you know, don't have this event or else and much worse things. And they had to file a police report. Um, we filed a police report on our end, the organizers, because of threats. And, you know, I think almost 200 protesters came out and, they seemed to have no idea what it was they were even protesting. You know, they had no clue what it was we were talking about inside. I remember one of the signs said, let kids be themselves. And I was like, that's literally <laughs> what I say in my talk is we want yeah. kids to just be themselves. Just let them be themselves, yeah. you know, like just because a, a boy likes to wear dresses or wants to play with dolls or likes playing with girls more yeah. than boys doesn't mean you need to do anything to his body or that there's something wrong with him. It just means he's a boy who likes to wear dresses and play with dolls, you know, and that's yeah. fine. Um, what, what, what fascinates me about this is, getting back to the theme of your book, is that feminists have been saying this for so long. Let kids be themselves. Let's not police kids in relation to gender identity. And so mm -hmm. it's very strange that the two discourses which seem to be you know identical are, are very very different aren't they so when when young people now stand outside with placards shouting at you or me or anybody else let kids be kids and that's all we're saying let kids just be kids yeah. um they're saying something quite different to us underneath if you just peel a layer from the top of it and i think this must be very confusing to the general public to know how to place any of these complex arguments really so yeah. for the young kids now when they're shouting let kids be kids when young people shout that what they mean is let their inner inherent gender identity that they were born with allow allow itself to come out let tolerate that which is in fact very different from what you're saying isn't it because you're saying there isn't an inherent gender identity yeah it, yeah I mean and, and yeah we're saying that just because a kid identifies with certain you know gender stereotypes and gender roles that doesn't mean that we need to change their body to match that you know I essentially see that gender identity I'm using that term in quotations because I don't agree with the idea of gender identity I don't think somebody has an inherent gender identity I just think that we're talking about personalities I just think we're talking about you know yeah. likes and dislikes like I don't think there's anything different about you know the brain of a little boy who prefers girls' toys or girl, toys that are supposedly for girls <laughs> um, or, you know, a girl who we might have that, you know, a couple decades ago called a tomboy, which was, you know, that was like me. Like when I was a kid, I hated dresses and I wanted to play with the boys and I wanted to play with trucks and I wanted to have short hair and I wanted to wear pants and I hate or refused to wear pink. Um, like I didn't like so-called girly things and who knows why that was you know it could have just been in rebellion against like my sister who really liked girly things and I wanted to differentiate from her and but either way you know I was 
I was identifying, as they might say, with boys things and liked, you know, like the the boys world better than the girls world. Um, and today I'd be told probably that, you know, maybe I had actually a boy's brain and maybe I was really a boy and not a girl, which is crazy to me and so scary. You know, it's not. It, it isn't science either. It's no. it, there, there isn't uh, sort of a neuroscientific basis for this um, idea. It's an ideology. But, you know, what is interesting, as we're talking together, I'm thinking of all the years that you have been, um, have created and uh, Feminist Current and you've been amplifying women's voices on it, a whole range of different issues that are important to women, including we could talk about pornography, prostitution, and so on and so forth. Here we are, preoccupied with gender identity and and I think I'm putting another hat on here it's not my hat but another hat which would be somebody saying why are you so preoccupied with that get off it there's so Mm. many other things going on that are important for women there are so many different ways in which we could be drawing attention to uh, the oppression of women in society women's inequality however we want to describe it but here are you and I talking about gender identity so I have my own view about why I'm concentrating on it at the moment but I wondered what you think about that because I I did see the um the video of you um talking uh, a few days ago it was fascinating but I noticed that you too had been thinking about the significance the importance of the transgendering of children so I noticed that you were getting quite preoccupied with this yourself do you think do you think you and I and everybody else are just going down a rabbit hole that we'll never get out of or do you think it is important to concentrate on this at the moment well I mean it's funny because it's like I sort of have said a couple times like if I were a conspiracy theorist I would have thought that this whole debate around gender identity would be like a plot to distract the feminist movement from getting anything done (laughs) because I think a lot of feminists are really frustrated to have to focus on this issue, actually, because there is so much more important work to do. You know, women are still in situations of domestic abuse. Prostitution is, you know, (laughs) prostitution is a huge, massive industry all over the world. Women and girls are being trafficked and abused and exploited all over the world all the time. Um, You know, the pornography is a massive industry, Women in the U.S. are are losing abortion rights um, right now. <laughs> you know, like we're using we're losing bodily autonomy. Um, there's you know the issue of surrogacy. There's female genital mutilation is still going on. There's all sorts of issues. Women are still very oppressed in lots of parts of the world and in, in in different ways. And we're fighting about whether or not there's even such a thing as a woman. Yeah. But the the fa- the reason that we've been forced to fight this is for exactly that reason because if there's no such thing as biological sex and therefore there's no such thing as men and women and girls and boys then i don't know how we can even yeah talk about all these issues in the first place we can't talk about domestic abuse as something that's gendered as it were I mean I I almost hate using the term gender anymore because it's it's come to be such a frustrating 
like confusing, meaningless term, but yeah. you know, yeah. and, and we can't talk about pornography as something that specifically harms women through objectification and through sexualizing violence and sexualizing humiliation and things like that. Um, we can't talk about reproductive rights, for goodness sakes, if we can't acknowledge that women have female bodies and that female bodies are very different from male bodies and that there's, um, that we, you know, women have been oppressed over centuries because of their female bodies and because they're capable of reproducing. So that's really what it all comes down to. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people might be like, oh, who cares? Like, just let people do this. Yeah trans thing or whatever but there's these huge repercussions because we're losing we're losing access to um women's spaces female only spaces so you know transition houses are being bullied into letting to letting men in and and obviously there's the issue of men having access to women's change rooms and things like that and female prisons um but i mean yeah we we can't we can't fight for women if there's no such thing as women and if we don't understand why it is that women are oppressed under patriarchy in the first place. Mm. Mm. I completely agree. <laughs> Utterly agree. So, you know, people often say to me, but uh, you know, why are you writing about this so much? Write about something else. There's mm. more to life the issues of you know, gender identity. But it seems to me the crux at, the, at this current moment in history upon which patriarchal oppression is being fought out um, in some way. So, um, Megan, you are coming to the UK and you're speaking at uh, numerous events, I gather. Yeah, um, yeah there's a, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I... Yeah, so I'll be in Brighton speaking at an event on the 18th. Um, that's being organized by there. So we need to talk is the name of the group. Sorry. Um, and yeah. then on the 20th, I, will, I hope I'm not getting confused. Yeah. I'm I'm speaking uh, at a meeting organized by Women's Place UK, which will be great. And then I'm going to Edinburgh to speak at Parliament, um, which has been very controversial over in Scotland. Um, it seems like a lot of people are pretty angry that I've been invited to talk about, you know, what's going on in Canada with the gender identity situation, because in Scotland they're talking about their own gender identity laws. Um, and then I'm speaking in Glasgow on the 24th also. So, so uh, Megan, may I ask, you were invited to Scottish Parliament, were you, in order to speak? How, how did that... How did that come about, that invitation? I'm very pleased you're, you're doing it, but I just wondered um, how that's come about because there is so much suppression of women's voices here in the UK, gender-critical voices, I mean, and the lack of platforming um, UK feminists. So it's great that you're doing it, but I'm quite curious as to how you got that invitation to do that. I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, it was you were. I, I, what I imagine is you're in a whirlwind of invitations, and you're not quite sure how they've come about. 
Yeah, no, you know, I've just been agreeing to to do everything yeah. that people are asking yeah. me to do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. people yeah. are just like originally I was just coming over for the women's place meeting and then a bunch of other invitations came along and I'm just trying to do as much as possible while I'm over there and I'm trying to agree to everything I can and yeah. there's been some things that I've had to turn down because I just am not able to do it time wise and and financially and stuff like that. So yeah. um but I, I, so I was just invited and agreed and didn't know why I was being invited or who was inviting me. But it turns out that it was uh, Joan McAlpine, who's an MSP um, yeah, with the Nash, the Scottish, uh, Scottish National Party, which I, I know is the, is the leftist party over there, which is great um, because. Here in Canada, no one, no leftist politicians are are facilitating this conversation at all, and um, they've actually been quite hostile to feminists um, mm. on the left uh, here in Canada. So, yeah, so I'm really grateful to have been invited. Um, and she's Joan McAlpine has been super attacked and and bullied and harassed over inviting me by by you know members of her own party and and all sorts of people over there in Scotland. So I hope that people will support her. I think she's been trying to speak out about this issue herself, which is really courageous, um, considering the attacks that we face when we do talk about this thing. So I wonder, I think this is probably um, going to be my my last question. Um, Do you have any sense, I know you haven't been to the UK yet, uh, around about this particular topic talking about this but do you have any sense that in some sense in the UK we're more open to having a discussion than in Canada do you feel have you got a, a sense that there's more freedom here in the UK than there is in Canada or have you not made a, dis- uh, a decision about that yet no definitely all along in terms of this debate the UK has been way ahead of us and um, people have been much braver over there about speaking out um, and much more organized. You know, I've noticed in the UK there's there's several, you know, more than several groups who've organized and come together around this issue. And, uh, you know, I feel that women have been much braver in doing public activism and in organizing talks and in publishing uh, writing around this issue and, you know, getting in contact with politicians and politicians over there have been speaking out about this issue and no politicians in Canada have spoken out this is- on this issue or very few in any case, maybe like a couple on the right, but barely even that. Not in our liberal party, not in our left wing party, supposedly left wing party. They're really not very left wing at all. But the NDP is our our party that used to be a socialist party um covered this issue in an extremely biased way so they'll you know they'll paint the trans kids issue in a positive light only and won't interview or speak with critics um on the issue of gender identity in general they again won't really acknowledge that there's a feminist critique um and yeah, like there's just been there's been no real public discussion, and we've kindly finally kind of forced a public discussion uh, because some women over here have been organizing events, and even then the media won't cover it. You know, we had this event on Thursday 
and 260 people attend. And there was also this huge protest outside and there was just silence from the media. They just didn't want to acknowledge that it was even happening. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. And, and, you know, the media has been covering this issue in the UK and there's been some really brave journalists also who've been writing about this issue and, and forcing people to, to see what's going on and how it's harming girls and women, how it's harming kids. Um, and yeah, it's just not happening in Canada. I mean, like I said, I mean, I've been trying to force it, but it's it's been a real challenge. So in that sense, I think you've exercised a particular bravery in relation to this. And um, without seeming <laughs> sycophantic, I, I do think that um, I'm full of admiration for you with that. I, I know that you'll be supported by the, the your... Um, feminist current and the kinds of women that you end up um, having conversations with and being supported by and so on but even so to be a relatively lone voice is very very difficult and frightening I think. I mean yeah it is difficult and it is frightening I do have a lot of support and I'm really grateful that I live in Vancouver in particular because in Vancouver we do have a strong feminist community so there's a lot of women over here who've been really, really supportive of me and, you know, women all around the world. And I get tons and tons of supportive emails from people um, all the time. I mean, I think there's this impression that I'm like hated, yeah. but I, I barely get any hate mail. I get like there's all sorts of threats and horrible things said about me publicly online which is odd because I guess people like to be public with their threats. But, you know, privately, I get a lot of really, really supportive, wonderful emails. And and again, people have been really supportive of Feminist Current, so I'm really grateful for that. But, yeah, at the same time, it does feel a bit, like, a bit lonely over here. I mean, in most of Canada, there's not too much of a discussion around this happening and and so it just makes it easy for people to treat me as a scapegoat right so people can pretend as though I'm the only one talking about this and I'm the only one who's worried about this issue or I'm the only one who's angry about what's going on and it's not true there's lots of people who are worried and and angry but it's when they can position it as though it's only me it's easy for them to pretend as though there's a majority that's supportive yeah. of gender identity ideology and legislation. And I actually don't think that's true. I think that yeah. the most of the world, most of the general population doesn't support yeah. the idea that you can change yeah. sex or that men should be allowed access to women's spaces yeah. or that there's no yeah. such thing as a female body. I think that's a real minority perspective. But, but yeah. when they can pretend it's only Megan Murphy who's just yes. being mean then <laughs> it's easy for them to manipulate the conversation yeah. absolutely Megan it's been lovely to speak to you and um, very interesting for me because you are usually the person interviewing me so <laughs> I've now uh, t interviewed you I'm coming to two of those events oh good um, I'm so glad I'm so looking forward to it and um I wish you the best of luck when you come to the UK I hope it's productive for you, and I hope we can speak again. 
Yeah, it's so great to talk to you. I'm so glad that we were able to do this interview. And I'm so excited to meet you all. There's so many women over in the UK that I've admired for so long and that I've been in touch with and that I've worked with and and interviewed. And I'm like, just so excited to meet everyone in person. And I think it's going to be great. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.